In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Look around for a moment at the shape of this building. From the high altar at the east end to the great west doors is an immensely long stretch. But where many of you are seated under the dome, you can also look north and south into shorter aisles, the transepts. And here at that point of meeting where they cross just under the dome, here is the altar where we will shortly celebrate the Eucharist. Here at the heart of the cross is where God speaks to us, forgives us, feeds us, and commissions us. And this is no accident. When we come into a church, we are entering a space that is cross-shaped, because that is the true shape of the world. Now it's easy to overlook this in a great cathedral. I remember when I first came to visit St. Paul's over 40 years ago as an American student on a year abroad. What struck me then was the way the cathedral spoke of earthly and especially military power. Its soaring architecture and huge internal space were meant to impress. I visited the tombs of Wellington and Nelson, and I saw the statues of great men who served the British Empire. And one that I particularly noticed was the memorial to Lord Cornwallis, just over there in the south transept. It describes his successful career, but it makes no mention at all of the one thing about him that every American schoolchild knows. Cornwallis gave up his sword to George Washington after the Battle of Yorktown, ending the war with the colonists and paving the way for American independence. Well, we prefer to celebrate the victories of our lives rather than remember the failures. Yet every life, even that of a successful general with a marble tomb, ends in death. We must endure our going hence because that is the human condition. We live under the reign of death. We are in occupied territory. But Holy Cross Day reminds us that a much greater victory than any of those celebrated by military tombs has already taken place. And that is why this building, like most churches, is laid out in the shape of the cross. The greatest triumph in history was won not by military strength or individual heroism. The overthrow of sin and death was accomplished from the place of maximum weakness and defeat. Jesus of Nazareth, repudiated by the elders of his faith, betrayed by a follower and deserted by his friends, was condemned by the power of the Roman Empire to a judicial execution that was the most painful and humiliating that could be devised. He was nailed naked to a cross, stripped of every last shred of human dignity. There was nothing religious or noble about this death. 
It was the human equivalent of a farmer hanging dead rats on a fence to discourage other rats from nibbling the grain. The message being sent by Rome was, this accursed creature is less than human and deserves torture and extermination. Come and enjoy the spectacle. Feel free to mock and jeer. The suffering of Christ on the cross is somehow at the heart of reality, and it's the result of human sin. Jesus stood in the crosshairs of both the temple authorities and the Roman imperial power. He was deemed to be an offense to both the God of Abraham and the God Emperor Augustus Caesar. But in dying on the cross, he revealed what God is truly like. The God of Jesus Christ is absolutely identified with suffering humanity. Our pain is his pain. He even shared the feeling of being God forsaken that so many of us reach at the lowest points of our own lives. St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians that God's love is seen in the very act of giving up the power and glory that belong to God. God is most truly revealed as divine in the utterly defenseless humanity of Jesus, whose obedience took him to the ultimate shame of a sadistic execution. When Jesus was so identified with the outcast that he could no longer even experience his relationship with his Abba, his father, when he plumbed the depths of human misery and suffering, then the love of God was shown to break every barrier. God does not wait for us to rise to his level, but God comes to find us where we are and to share our lives. The instrument of judicial torture, the cross, has become the sign of this love. The early Christians found it so repulsive that they did not use it in iconography. They preferred the abstract fish symbol or the serene image of a beardless young shepherd carrying a lamb across his shoulders. It was only when the Roman Empire's power began to ebb and crucifixions became just a grisly memory that the cross became a sign of hope rather than a reminder of the gallows. Now, of course, we wear ornamental crosses. We look at them in church and throughout the liturgy we use the sign of the cross. It reminds us that we bear the sign of Christ's death that was marked on our foreheads in oil at our baptism. It's the imprint of what love looks like. We look upon it as the Israelites looked up at Moses' serpent on a pole as a sign of God's healing and salvation. Whenever we suffer and come close to despair, we can never fall lower than the cross itself. The ultimate suffering, God's own separation from God, lies below us. God's love will always catch and hold us and identify with whatever pain or alienation we endure. There is no dark place we can go to 
where Christ has not gone before us. The light of his presence, represented by the candles that will shortly be presented at the altar, that light never fails. And so we celebrate the solemn festival of the Holy Cross, not with fear and revulsion, but with joy and thanksgiving. Amen.